Tonight we're continuing our study in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation 12, we see that there is a war in heaven that has profound effects on the earth. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God, to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she is a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. Then the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of great eagles, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and time and a half. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he stood on the stand of the sea. So there is a a movie that I saw over the summer at the behest of Nolan Vinoy that I really wanted to see. Um, it's called The Tree of Life, and uh, it's one of those movies that, like, if you just want to sort of get a sense of how the universe works, um, and uh, and just sort of get in touch with, there are deep sort of movements of things in the world that we don't quite understand, but we bump into. You should watch The Tree of Life. Um, but it is sort of set by this quote toward the beginning of the movie by the mom of the family in the movie, and um, this is what she says. And I, I want to frame our time tonight with this quote. So, um, listen up. She, she, went, she had gone to a, a Catholic school growing up, and she said, The nuns taught us that, uh, there that there are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself. Accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked. Accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself. Get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it, and love is smiling through all things. So there's, she's saying there's two ways through life. There's the way of nature, 
trying to please yourself, and there's the way of grace. And uh, I think that we see this as we look out into the world. I just saw it just yesterday looking in the news. Uh, The way of nature is very strong. Um, Another unarmed black man uh, killed by police, shot down by police with his hands up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, walking toward the police. And then uh, his name, because we need to say his name, we need to remember his name, Terrence Crutcher. And then last night in Charlotte, Another African-American man killed by police. Um, His name is uh, Keith Scott. And the reality is that if you have a black body in America, it's not safe. Um, Because we've had generations and generations and generations of a thing called white supremacy. And that worked itself out through slavery and through segregation, Jim Crow, and oppression of people of color. So that today, while we don't see those outward external things, we still live in a place where it has worked so far down into our American psyche that people um, of color are dangerous or in some ways below the white majority culture that um, we we think that they're dangerous. And so um, their lives are lost easily. Um, And it's the case that a black officer... A black police officer is statistically more likely to shoot an unarmed black man than he is to shoot an armed white man. That's just the reality of the fact that the way of nature continues to work in our day to day. But also, if we're looking, the way of grace is also very active in our in our lives. There's this beautiful video um, of the World Triathlon Finals. I don't know if you saw that. Um, and a guy named uh, Johnny Brownlee, he's a British guy, he was winning the World Triathlon Finals. You've got to think, like, if you're winning the World Triathlon Finals, you're probably fairly committed to athletics and probably pretty good at athletics, and you've spent a good portion of your life committing yourself to this particular grueling sport. And he was about four, you know, it's like you have to swim for some ungodly amount of time and then ride a bike longer than anyone should ever ride a bike. And then you have to run six miles at the end of it. And Johnny Brownlee was about 400 feet from the finish line when his body just started to shut down because he was dehydrated, overheated. This thing happens if you, if you know distance runners. And he just, you see his eyes, they just kind of went wild. And he was just flailing around. And he was not going to make it to the finish line. He was winning this race. And the person behind him in the race was his brother, Alistair Brownlee. And so his brother then is suddenly faced with a decision. Either to win the race that I've been committed to my whole life, or to serve and love my brother. And of course, the love of a brother is very special, right? He he stops his race, he puts his arm under his brother, and he literally runs his brother. He's content for people to pass him. He runs his brother across the finish line. A guy passes them, wins... Uh, he's got to be feeling a little awkward celebrating. Um, uh, like, I won, but I'm also like a jerk. Um, but what was mo- so beautiful about, about that moment was that when they got to the finish line, Alistair Brownlee actually took his brother's arm from around him and pushed him over the finish line so that he finished before him in the race. That, my friends, is the way of grace. And grace and nature are all around us. And I think if we're honest about even the things that happen in our own hearts, we see them there. Like, think about how you deal with your roommate's dishes issue. Um, those of you that have roommates where you are cooking. Or like just the, your roommate's general cleanliness. Like, part of you really wants to be this person that like loves them and serves them and like dies for them and gives to them. But like another very strong part of you wants to be the person that like pursues vengeance upon them. Um, 
And, and, and the question for us tonight as we look at this passage is this. Why is that the case? Why is it the case that, gr- that grace and nature are both active in our lives and in our hearts and in our world? Revelation, the book of Revelation, um, is a book that is to reveal things to us. That's what the name means. It's a revelation. It's not hiding anything. It's revealing things. And as we said before, it's, Revelation is kind of like if there was vertical blinds in the solarium. And they were almost closed. And if you were standing on one side of the vertical blinds and you looked at them, all you would see is a closed wall. You would see nothing on the other side. But if you just took a couple of steps to the side, you could then begin to see through the vertical blinds to what was outside Sanford Mall Beauty Mountains. And what Revelation does is it helps us to stand to the side and actually to see through the world as it is, to see what's behind it. And what John wants to, the guy who wrote this book, wants to reveal to us through this tonight is that there's nature and grace in the world because there's a war going on. A war in the, heaven and the, in the heavens and the war that's all around us. And it's part of our lives. It spans history and it spans the globe. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about what this war looks like. Um, but tonight what I want to do is get a sort of a big picture of this war and also to lead to this question. How is this war affecting you tonight on a Wednesday night at Appalachian State as you sit in the beautiful and luxurious Grandfather Mountain ballroom. So first, what is this war? What do we know about this war? Okay. Well, first we know that it's real. Revelation uses a lot of big imagey kind of language. And we would read this and we would be sort of tempted to think this is just a myth. This is just sort of an epic. Um, Now, of course, anything that is trying to say the world is involved in a huge war and you can't see it, it's going to sound mythic and epic just by its very nature. But what's great about Revelation is, uh, I heard a friend say, Revelation is, is Christianity for visual learners. Like, so if you're a visual learner, like Revelation is perfect for you and also probably give you nightmares. Um, but what John is trying to show us is this is an actual war that is happening in the world. This, is, this isn't just like some way of understanding normal life, but it's actually a reality that there's a war and there's real combatants. And the first real combatant in the war is the dragon, okay? That there is really a dragon and he's really active uh, in the world. Look in, look in verse 9. The nice thing is that John actually tells us who the dragon is. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes we have to figure it out. But in verse 9 he says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. John's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. And there's surely people here tonight, and so thrilled that you're here, who are thinking, you know, that's just really silly. Like, there's no Satan that's behind, behind things, you know? Like, that's very quaint of you to, to think that that's true. And I'm literally telling you, as crazy as it sounds, there is a real devil. And he's a real person. And um, I think that we might think that's silly because, like, sort of in our um, Western, sort of modern way of thinking, we go, there aren't really things beyond the things that we can see and touch and taste and smell, Right? We, we just try to like make sense of them by saying there are things like Satan, but these things aren't really real. But that leaves us actually in a really awkward position um, because suddenly we want to say, well, like you should be good and you should love people, but also there's nothing outside of what you can see. So a Russian philosopher, his name's Vladimir Solovyov, of course, um, he, he sums this up well. He's, this is sort of a sarcastic statement, but he says, Man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. 
Uh, and like I think that just putting those two statements together, it feels illogical. Like those two things don't necessarily flow from one another, and they actually contradict each other. If really all we are is the result of a biological process, right? Then there is, and like, and it worked in the past that people should just survive based on their power. Like, why doesn't that work now? Why suddenly now do we have to care about love and justice, right? Uh, Tim Keller, who's, who's a Christian thinker, he says, you know. Given this view, the conclusion of love or social justice is no more logical than the conclusion to hate or destroy. Each set of beliefs is evidence against the other. And what I'm asking you, like, in complete gentleness and in no way feeling like I know more things than you know about how the world works, what I'm asking is, is, it, is that more logically consistent than the idea that there is a good God who gives life and there's also a force that opposes him that wants to bring death and destruction into the world and that's why we have grace and that's why we have nature working itself out in the world. It's not illogical. It's a perfectly fine thing to think about how, how the world works. Now, we learn that Satan is real in this passage and also that he's very powerful. Look in verse 3 and 4. John says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads. And I see why these things are kind of hard to, to buy when you just read them off the sheet. With seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems or seven crowns. In Revelation 7 and 10 mean completeness or fullness. And a horn in Revelation means power. So if you need to remember what horn means, just think Chris is very powerful. His last name is Horn. Therefore, might, power. Okay, So John is is telling us here that Satan is very powerful. Um, He's a very powerful adversary to God. But he is a creature. Okay? Satan is part of the created realm. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Satan is not. Satan is not like the sort of the yin to God, the, the yin to God's yang. He's not like the dark side to like God's light side of the force, and there are these like sort of equal forces. He is a creature and as part of God's creation that has gone very, very wrong. And he opposes God. Now also, so we have the dragon, we also have the woman. Thanks for letting me be a little teachy here. We're going to bring this down to you in just a second. The woman. Uh, We know from verse 1, it says that she's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. This is an allusion to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, of God's people Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. And then down in verse 17, it says the dragon becomes furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So these are people that believe in Jesus. These are God's people back in the day before Jesus, and these are God's people now. Okay. What John is trying to show us is there's a real war going on between Satan and between God's people, and it affects all of us. It's a real war, but it's also a war that's already won, and that's why Satan is so angry. If you look in verse 7, we see that there's a, there's a war in heaven, and, and it breaks out. And verse 8, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down from heaven. Um, in the end, grace wins. At the end of the world, uh, the way that it all works out is that grace wins. But the dragon is kind of like my three-year-old daughter who like, cannot stand to lose. If you play a board game with her and she loses, she will literally flip the board over on you and like maybe begin to physically assault you. Um, Satan is lost, and so he's raging against God and against God's people. Okay, 
That's good news for heaven that he was thrown down, but verse 12 says, that's bad news for us. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So here's how how that affects you. Satan has been thrown down from heaven. He does not win. And now he's raging. He knows he's going to, he's raging against the world. And the way that affects us tonight is that look at what John says in verse 9. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying that salvation has come. And it says, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The way that this comes to work to you tonight is this. Satan, the devil, the person I'm saying is a real creature that's at work in the world, he loves to accuse. Actually, the word Satan, which comes from a Hebrew Hebrew word, means accuser. His way that he likes to rage against God's people and against the world is by accusing us. And, and we live under a deluge of accusations. I tried to think about this when I woke up this morning. How many accusations I like level against myself by the time I get out, like basically get out of bed. I'm literally brushing my teeth this morning. And uh, I thought, I thought, I said, I should be brushing my teeth better. Like the way that I'm brushing my teeth is too hard. I need to be more gentle and for longer. That's what my dentist keeps telling me that I need to do with brushing my teeth. Okay. Um, I really, I'm standing there, you know, in front of the mirror. I should, I should be running more than like once or twice a week. I think this is fairly obvious. Um, and I should not, I ate three pieces of pizza before I went to bed last night. And that was, that was a bad call. I shouldn't do that. Um, I should be responding more kindly to my children and to my wife. Um, I've been really irritable lately. And I, man, I really should have gotten up earlier because then I wouldn't be as irritable with my, with my children. A friend of mine calls that shooting all over yourself. Um, where you begin to use the word, I should have done this, I should have done this, I shouldn't have done that. And um, you guys probably know what it's like to, to shit all over yourself. And um, that's, that's just... <laughs> um, that's especially difficult uh, if you struggle with anxiety or if you've had some kind of trauma in your life. The, the voice in, the, in your head is louder and more pronounced. And it reminds me of, if, if you have read that great piece of 21st century literature, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, um, there's a scene in, in the second Hunger Games where um, Katniss and Finnick, I, I think, right? Um, they're on this part of the, uh, the map, and there's these birds called jabberjays, if you remember this. And jabberjays can like, pick up sounds that people make and repeat them exactly how they, how they sound. And Finnick and Katniss are in this part, and they're hearing the screams of like their loved ones being tortured and being killed, right? And it's over. They have to be in there for an hour. They can't block it out. It's overwhelming and deafening and all-consuming for them. And that can be what the accusations just that are within us sound like. Um, a friend of mine I was talking to, she was um, recently sharing with me about when she was in the grip of um, an eating disorder. And um, I was asking her, like, what was that like for you? Like, what, what was going on in your, like, in your mind? Like, what were you hearing yourself say? And it was really, it was really heartbreaking, but also really illuminating. And she was saying, "I would hear myself saying, like, you look disgusting, um, and like you, you're just you're disgusting for looking this way." And then she would purge her food, and after that moment of just like sort of release and chemicals, um, then she would immediately be flooded with an, a second accusation, which is, "You're so weak and disgusting for doing that." Um, you're so gross. Like, how could you ever do that? 
And you see how this is this, this terrible, disgusting cycle that happens in our hearts that pushes you to do the thing that you feel like you really shouldn't do, and then once you do it, accuses you for the thing that you've just done. And that cycle is Satan's really, really sharp and excellent weapon that he loves to, to leverage against God's people. You hear yourself saying, like, you're so lame that you don't have that, and, like, God, God's holding out on you, and you should take charge and go get that. And then when you do, when you sin again, when you indulge in porn again, when you gossip again, whatever it is, um, after all, all you hear is God could never love someone that does the things that you do. You know that, right? Um, he could never love someone so disgusting. You're a failure. And it's really effective um, at destroying us from the inside out. You, we just hear voices like, they're going to reject you. You might as well just push them away. Like You might as well just be mean to them because they're going to reject you. You might as well control it. Or just like withdraw from them. And if they don't love you, no one's going to. You know that, right? Um, or you went too far again and God is now disappointed with you. Doesn't feel the same about you like he used to. Or this is, this is one that's really hard for me and maybe for you. You know, you're the only one that struggles with this. It's just you. Um, Satan is an accuser. Okay, that's how he gets at God's people and rages. And so the question for us is, and I think that we sense that that is real, um, and I think we sense that that's really effective because part of that accusation is true. This is what's so smart about the devil. And this is why you go, he's a person. He's not just some force, right? Because part of that is true. Because even if you're here and you're, you like don't believe in Jesus and you're not interested, whatever standards you have for yourself, you're not meeting them. Right? The person that you want to be is not the person who you currently are. So when you f- hear those accusations, you go, part of that is really true. <coughs> and if you do belong to Jesus, you go, yeah, I don't measure up to my standards or God's standards or my parents' standards or my friends' standards. Um, and how do we begin to respond to that is the question for us. Okay? I think I've sort of laid it out there for us what accusation does to us. But how do we respond John shows us two ways in verse 11, and I hope that these will be life-giving for you, no matter where you are tonight. Look in verse 11. And they have conquered him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. What is so beautiful about the Christian perspective and life and experience is that it locates your source of happiness, of confidence, of stability outside of yourself. What John is saying here is that those who have conquered Satan have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. By some, but not by their own blood, not by reaching in, not by finding something that's so lovely about themselves, but by someone else's blood. The Christian's hope is built upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus who followed perfectly the way of grace. He never strayed from the path of grace. He always put others before himself. Can you imagine even making it a day, always putting somebody before yourself? He followed the way of grace perfectly in his thoughts, in his words, and in his actions. And after he had completed that life, he gave up that life and accepted death by shedding his own blood so that he could give you that life as a gift. Um, the, what's so beautiful about the Christian experience is that there is as, as an exchange that happens that is outside of yourself where Jesus' blood is shed for those who have embraced the way of nature. 
And He gives you the way of grace freely, fully, as a gift. Um, And God doesn't just choose the way. Jesus doesn't just choose the way of grace. He is the way of grace. Um, We skipped one combatant when we were talking about who was in the war, and that's the child. It's a little weird, you know. There's a dragon, and a lady is about to give birth, and the dragon wants to eat the baby. Um, But there is a child that Satan so badly wants to devour. And in the passage, we learn two things about this. This is in verse 5, but that he um, is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and that he's caught up to God and his throne. And that is talking about the Lord Jesus. That as a baby, this is like this is a Christmas sermon now. 2 Corinthians 8 says this about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What is also so beautiful about the Christian message is that God himself became a small child, like a baby, a helpless baby. And that's how he triumphs over nature with grace, by becoming small. We we sang about this if you were singing, fullness of God and helpless babe. That Jesus is the way of grace, like literally in his being and his becoming a human being, he does not seek to please himself, but gives himself up in that act. There's this uh, Christmas carol written by Benjamin Britten, not Benjamin Button, R.I.P. Um, (laughs) And it goes like this. And it goes a little something like this. Uh, This little babe, so few days old, is come to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for cold doth shake. That what makes Satan tremble and all of hell tremble is God himself completely relinquishing himself of power and becoming a baby shaking in the night. That's what grace looks like triumphing in the world. And so they, 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 they overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. So you can actually put your trust in Jesus who is outside of you and also their testimony. Okay, this is where we're going to bring this down on. Sharing what God has done for you and for others. Um, when Satan accuses you, whether, this is whether you know Jesus tonight or you don't yet know Jesus. When Satan accuses you internally or another person accuses you externally, you get to talk back to them. This is something that we totally forget. Like, you listen to yourself talk all day long. Um, And some of you guys, it's so tiring and exhausting because you can never turn it off. But you get to tell Satan and all those accusations what Jesus has done. Satan says, you're a failure. And the Christian responds, you don't know the half of my failings. Um, say, like in confidence says that you don't even know how messed up it is man you can't even see the depths of what I know about myself and I'm confident to say that in Jesus Satan says look at what you've done and the Christian says what I've done is literally beside the point look at what Jesus has done he's given it to me as a gift and it's mine and nobody can ever take it away from me and when Satan comes to you and says the most damning thing of all God can't love you You understand that, right? Look around. God cannot and he will not love you. Uh, The Christian can say, look at the lengths he has gone to save me. Of course he loves me. 
the voice of Satan always tells you this, always tells you to look inside, dig down deeper to feel better. Because he knows that that's where the spiraling happens. And the voice of Jesus comes to you tonight and always says, look outside to him. Uh, to grab hold of him and to rest in him. Psalm 61, David says, David was this old guy back in the day that knew the Lord. He says, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than myself. Um, and like your prayer, no matter where you're at tonight, can be, Lord, lead me to something that is bigger and more stable than myself. And that person is Jesus. And their testimony is so beautiful. This is one final challenge. It's beautiful because they love, their li- they love not their lives even unto death. This has substance, y'all. I don't know what else in your life has substance to help you go, I'm literally going to die for another person. Like, I don't love my life. I don't love winning this race as much as I love my brother finishing ahead of me in this race. But this gospel, this good news of Jesus, has that substance. It has meat. It has enough to drive you to forgive a friend and to re-engage with them even when they've really wronged you and hurt you. You can go, yes, you have hurt me, and yes, there needs to be boundaries in our relationship, but I'm still going to love you, and I'm not going to walk away. Um, it, it can move you to quit pleasing yourself and to actually stand for and with people that are being oppressed. Where you go, if I die with you, that's okay. Because you know for the Christian, when you die, your life just only gets inextricably better, right? And you're like, my Jesus has died for me and I can go and I can stand against people that just want to write really mean things on sidewalks on campus. Um, You can go, I can stand with you even though it makes me feel weird in my friend group. Because Jesus, and I don't have to love my life even to death. Y'all, it's a war out there. And there's two ways through. The way of nature and the way of grace. And you have to choose which one you will follow. May God give us grace to follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much uh, that you've been kind to us. Um, Lord, however much we strut around, however much we say, however loud we sing, um, we can't do anything. We can't change our hearts. We're powerless to do that. We're helpless. Or would you help us by your spirit to cling to you for the first time or for just the thousandth time and find rest and hope in the rock that is bigger than ourselves. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's the end of the world.